Let's get started. Last week, we talked about the value of friendship. You remember that it was three out of ten people identified as being seriously lonely? That did seem a little low, but when you started breaking down each different demographic, moms with, with toddlers were 50% said they were seriously lonely. 60% of young adults said they were seriously lonely. And I'm going to make this one up, but I think it's about 99.9% of adult males are seriously lonely, they just don't realize it. They just think that's what guys are supposed to do. We're not supposed to have good close friends. That's not a thing that American adult males do. So we don't even think about it. We don't even talk about it. We just don't have anybody to come to our birthday party. Earlier this week, Steve popped his head into my office as I was working on this sermon and he said, hey, I read this article that in Japan they have a service where you can rent a friend meaning that you can hire someone to come in and watch TV with you, to go to the movies with you. And I said, Steve, is that a cry for help? Because we can gather up some money together and make that happen for you if you really need it. I mean, Christmas is only 91 days away, right? Yeah, so maybe that could be on his Christmas list for this year. But that's nuts. Rent a friend? What kind, of, what kind of culture is struggling with loneliness to the degree that you would have to pay someone to be your friend? Well, I'll tell you what kind of culture. A culture like the one we are living in. We're struggling with that level of loneliness. So we said this last week, you are not alone in feeling alone. So this is where we ended last week. We said friendship is more important than we realize. It's more difficult than we think but it's more attainable than we believe. You can have a friend. It's possible. It's possible for you. Now, it may not be finding a friend that's a challenge for you. It's not necessarily identifying another human being with whom you could have a relationship. The challenge for many of us is somewhere along the path toward a connection with another human being, it hits a road bump. It hits a snag. There's something that gets in the way, whether it's conflict or misunderstanding or some baggage that we have or some hurt or some offense or some disappointment that we have in this relationship. MIT actually publishes information about international students who are coming to MIT from other cultures saying this is how you connect with Americans. This is from their website. Have you ever been confused about how friendship is defined in the American culture? An analogy that has struck a chord with many international students is that Americans are like peaches. Yes. yes. You're like, yes, I get it. No, this is why they say that. It says they are soft on the outside. Seems a little offensive. Easy to approach, but the pit is harder. It is harder to get to know an American really well and create a real friendship. In contrast, many other nationalities are like coconuts. This is from MIT. I just want to remind you, this is not Patrick coming up with this. It is hard to get inside, but once you are there, it is pleasant. <laughs> I've never been inside a coconut, but it is pleasant. <laughs> and you are real friends when you have made it through the tough exterior. Americans are typically polite, but they are also very private people. They want to be perceived as nice, but many want to preserve their private space and not get too close. They might even suggest, let's get coffee or let's get lunch, but it seems like they didn't really mean it. If they are serious about it, they will propose a time and a place. 
You can propose a time and a place too. However, Americans are so polite that they don't want to say, I don't have time to meet up. They would rather say, sure, and then not follow up. Don't take it personally. I encourage you to keep trying to make friends with Americans. Isn't that funny? That's interesting to hear about us from another perspective. But there's a lot of things in there that are very true. I mean, how often have we ended a conversation saying, hey, let's get together sometime soon, and the other person's like, totally. But both of you are thinking, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Not getting together. So even in churches, and let me say, actually, maybe especially in churches, this, this difficulty of disappointment and conflict and hurt and baggage is even more apparent because there is an expectation that within a church like ours, that among the people in this room, we should be able to find close friends. So maybe you bumped up into conflict, misunderstanding, disappointment, and offense, even right within the walls of the church building. You wanted to make a friend. You expected that endless montage of special friend moments where you're always doing everything together and your kids played together and everything was wonderful and fine. And then something happens. I didn't know that's how they voted. I'm not sure I can get close to them if that's their way of thinking about the world. Or I invited them over and they never invited me back. Well, I don't know that I think that's the end of the, 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 the friendship right there. This is a big one, folks. I missed church and nobody called me. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody said anything. And I'm, I guess I'm done because nobody must care. Or we have a conversation with somebody and they say something that we vehemently disagree with. And then all of a sudden we're polite, but we're like, nope, can't get any closer to them. We should get coffee sometime. So what do we do? What do we do when potential friendships run into real challenges? How do we handle that? How do we deal with that? How do we navigate that? How do we think about that? Because a lot of people are pretty quick to say, okay, well, it's all over. Now, I want to say two things. This is important. I want to say two things. Number one, what I'm talking about this morning is not about what you can expect from them, but what about God expects from you. We love to play the game that when we hear expectations from Scripture about what we should do, we love to turn it around and make it expectations for the people in our lives, rather than saying, it is my responsibility to do these things and to do them well. Secondly, we are not going to get very deep into abusive and unsafe and manipulative relationships. Our culture has done an excellent job of talking about boundaries and identifying ways that relationships can be toxic, and there's a lot to be said for that, but sometimes I think we get to that label of another person a little too quickly. They didn't answer my phone call. They didn't wave hi as I passed them in the hallway. They're an unsafe relationship. So I'm not saying that those things aren't true. You probably can think of people that are difficult personalities to get along with, but just because they're difficult doesn't make them toxic and unsafe and manipulative. We have to, we have to be very careful about that. Listen, this is important. Let me just say this and I'll move on from this whole topic. There are people with whom we are not going to develop close relationships because it is not the most loving thing for us to do to be manipulated by them. It's not the most loving thing for them. But we've got to be very honest and realistic about when we label people with, with those labels. They're, they're huge labels. They're really important. So I told you last week that Proverbs has some genius advice for relationships, some genius advice. The verse, the proverb I want to really look at is Proverbs chapter, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. And it's deceptively simple. Because you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, yeah, I get it. I understand. But wait. 
Listen to what it says. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Deceptively simple. Our family is on our second round of teaching a teenager to drive. This teenager who shall remain nameless and who everybody is looking at right now just got their permit and they are allowed to drive and of course they want to. Parents that you've been through it before, you discovered aspects of your personality that you didn't know existed when you were in the passenger seat of a car that was drifting into oncoming traffic, right? There is new layers to who you were. Um, we're learning some hard lessons. One of the lessons I learned is that little handle above the door of the passenger seat. That is called the assist grip. It's not called the panic bar. I've also learned that when I cling tightly to the assist grip, it undermines the confidence of the driver. It makes them feel like maybe they're not doing a good job. And I try not to because when we're pulling into a parking spot next to a Range Rover and I don't think we're going to make it, that's my only option. Anyway, we don't have one of those student driver bumper stickers, but I can really see the value in that. New driver, be patient. Um, the other day we turned, we turned right from our road and we kind of missed the road and we went all the way across where we were supposed to be and then we kind of did a big loop. Now, it wasn't any big deal. We didn't put anybody in danger, but the car behind us was upset <laughs> at us and they honked to let us know. They weren't, again, they weren't in any danger and I, sitting in the passenger seat, I was offended that they had honked. Because they should understand that we have a brand new driver. This is this person's second time driving. And okay, so we missed the road, but everybody's got to start somewhere. And they were probably offended that we had committed several traffic violations. I thought that if this person knew that this was my child's second time driving, maybe they would exercise a little bit more patience. You know what I mean? And so you can see exactly what, what Proverbs is getting at. Wisdom yields patience. This is valuable to understand. He's not saying wisdom grits its teeth and just guts it out and tries to be patient. No, wisdom, an expansive, a more expansive understanding of the reality of the situation, yields patience. You will be a more patient person if you step back and you realize that there is almost always more to the picture than what I'm accounting for. Now, that's intuitive. I don't think anybody's in the room saying, oh, wow, that's genius. I never thought about that before. Of course, yeah. There's nothing about that that doesn't seem intuitive to us. But this next part is really important. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. My favorite pizza place in Woodbury, honestly, maybe the state, Maybe the country. I haven't been to all of them yet, but my favorite pizza place is just up the road here in Woodbury. I'll tell you where it is in a second. The reason I'm not telling you where it is because I'm about to tell you a little bit about the owner of the pizza place. I've been going to this place for about 15 years, and I only go at lunch. When I'm working here, I run up the road and go at lunch. The reason I go at lunch is it's convenient, but secondly, it's because it's when the owner of the place is working, and the owner is a character. I, no joke, this is true, and this is why I'm not telling you the pizza place yet. I have been in line, I've seen him answer the phone, and a customer try to place an order, and he gets annoyed with them, and he hangs up on them. 
I've seen him yell in the store. He uses the language. It's, it's a hard PG-13 language. I mean, it's pretty, I would, if, if I was bringing children in there, I would cover their ears. This is like the opposite of Chick-fil-A customer service, by the way. Like this is, this guy is a, he's, he's a character. It must be good pizza, right? It is excellent pizza. One time I went in and uh, he said, oh, hey, yeah, you get the X, Y, Z. And he remembered my order. And I said, oh, that's really nice of you to remember my order. And for some reason that triggered him into thinking that he had heard feedback from customers who wanted him to remember their name. And he was like, that's just ridiculous. Why would I remember somebody's name? That's unreasonable. And he said, you've been coming here for years and I have no idea what your name is. <laughs> and what's crazy is I took that as a compliment. I'm like, well, thank you very much. I feel very good. That's the kind of pizza place this is. Now, this owner could be described as offensive. I think that's a fair description. People might find him offensive. And there are people who probably wouldn't go back to his establishment because of his personality. I get that. It is good pizza. You should go back. And once you get past, once you get past the coconut exterior, he's really a softy inside. Anyway, this guy would be offensive. When we think of terms like offensive or disappointment, we have a wide range of experiences. Some people find it offensive the way other people chew. If they chew too loudly or chew with their mouth open, that's offensive ranging from that all the way to something like someone holding a belief that we find infuriating. I cannot believe someone believes that or thinks that. So that's the range. So when I was thinking about a, a person overlooking offense, my first thought was, well, I, me, Patrick, as a personality, I'm not easily offended. And I was starting to think like, yeah, I, I don't really get offended by much. I mean, the only time I can think that I ever really get offended is when someone criticizes me. I don't like that very much. It really kind of hurts my feelings. Or I get offended when they criticize the church. That bugs me too. I get offended when they say something unkind about my family or my children. Actually, I get offended when somebody uses their cell phone in a movie theater. That really offends me. I get offended when bikes try to drive in the car lane and slow traffic down. That kind of offends me. I get offended when people, as soon as the plane lands, they hop up and they try to rush for the front of the plane. That bugs me a little bit. I get a little offended when people have wrong opinions and wrong ideas. Turns out maybe I do have quite a few things that offend me. And it is to one's glory, Proverbs says, to overlook an offense. And I've got quite a long list of things that I need to start overlooking. But the Hebrew concept of offense is a little different than the American concept of offense. In America, we don't like things that make us uncomfortable or that, well, we don't like. It's offensive if we don't like it. But in Hebrew, that word is much more pointed. It's not accidental. It's deliberate. I deliberately tried to do something to you to make you mad. It's not passive aggressive. It's just aggressive. It's not insensitivity where someone just wasn't thinking. It's intentional. It's insult. Let's say there's a very powerful and influential person in our country who uses a service called Twitter to share a lot of their opinions. Sometimes this powerful person could get a little personal and tweet insults to people. Let's just say this hypothetically for the sake of me not getting in trouble. Anyway, one afternoon, this powerful person with millions and millions of followers 
tweeted an insult at a theologian. And this is what he said. I have a picture of it here. Russell Moore, this is the theologian, he's current editor of Christianity Today, is a truly terrible representative of evangelicals and of all the good they stand for. A nasty guy with no heart. That is offensive. That is someone intentionally trying to hurt someone else and maybe for points with people with whom they would agree. But that is what Hebrew people would label an offense. Now, the proverb says something remarkable. The proverb says that it's possible to overlook an offense. Now, think about that, because I think we're like, yeah, of course, yeah, you can overlook offense. Pause for a minute. It's possible for someone to say something mean, pointed, insulting at you and for you to overlook it. Or the Hebrew word is to let it pass right by. That is a possible thing. Can you believe that? You guys remember this, right? Elementary gym. These, uh, these were designed so that if they're thrown hard enough, it will sting, but it won't, it won't leave a bruise, right? It will hurt. It will make them terrified. But it won't leave a bruise, just some emotional scars. This is dodgeball, where someone, and usually it feels like there's some kids who are trying to take out a little bit of aggression on the dodgeball court, and they want to chuck this thing as hard as they can, and bonus points if they hit you in the head. That is an offense. I am taking this thing, and I am intentionally targeting you. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't passive. It was intentional. I'm taking this and I'm trying to hit you. Now imagine this is the, this is the intangible experience of someone offending you. They said something that it was offensive. It was disappointing. It was hurtful. They want to hit you with this. They want you to hurt. They want you to be mad about what they've said or what they've done. They expect you to pick this back up and throw it back at them. That's what they're expecting from you. And Proverbs is saying they can do that and you can just let it lie there. You don't have to play the game. They can intentionally try to harm you and you don't have to pick that up and throw it back. I mean, that's the point of dodgeball, right? You try to dodge out of the way. Just let it pass by. You can't. That's not, that's not one of the menu options. What are you talking about, Patrick? According to the book of Proverbs, you can just let that offense roll right on by. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but it's possible. But wait, wait, wait. What, what they did, what they believed, what they said is offensive. Yeah, yeah. No, what they did, what they said, what they believe is wrong. Yeah. What they did, what they'd said, what they believed was intentionally trying to hurt me. Yeah, and you're saying I don't have to take offense? Not me. I'm not saying that. Proverbs is saying that. Scripture is saying that. I don't have to pick that up and chuck it back to them. I don't have to play that game. I'm guessing that most of you have relationships that have ended poorly. And it ended poorly because someone chucked something at you and you didn't appreciate that. And so you, to show them, you tried to hit back harder. Well, and that made them mad. Now they're offended and they tried to hit back harder. And pretty soon it's just a mess. And now you haven't talked in 20 years. How's that going for you? Was that a good option? Did that work out really well? The fact that you can't invite them to Thanksgiving dinner now, is that good? No. It is possible 
to overlook an offense. But that's actually not the point that the Proverbs are trying to make. It's not, he's not just saying it's possible. Notice what he actually says. He says it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. This is important. Let's go back to that tweet I was telling you about. What is a Christian theologian who has just been insulted by the, a, a powerful person to do? Here's what he did. He responded by saying, he's right. I am a nasty man with no heart, which is why I need forgiveness of sins and redemption through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you don't play that game. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I see that response and I'm like, wow, now that's impressive. How did you do that? You, you dodged out of the way and somehow you brought it back to Jesus. That's pretty powerful. Offenses are unavoidable. To be offended, to have someone do something that hurts you, it's unavoidable. It's going to happen. It will happen to you. It may be happening to you, but taking offense is not. You do not have to play that game. This is important. We like to think we'll have having the perfect comeback is going to make us look good. And Proverbs says, nope. Actually, what will look good is you just letting that roll right on by. Don't pick it up. Don't take it. Just let it roll right on by. Any friendship or potential friendship is going to bump up against conflict, hurt, disappointment, offense, misunderstanding. And any friendship that you can think back to that has ended poorly has likely ended poorly because of one of those things. There's this passage in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, at the end of Jesus' life, he's in the garden. Judas is coming to betray him. You talk about somebody being offensive. And this passage has always, um, it, it, it's, it's not made any sense. I cannot wrap my head around what Jesus does in this moment, what he says in this moment. Look, look at this with me. Matthew 26, verse 48. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with the guards who were going to come arrest Jesus. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Like, what a, I mean, what a betrayal, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage in this act of relational in intimacy, and that's the signal that you're supposed to take him out. I mean, you talk about insult. You talk about hurt. You talk about conflict. You talk about <laughs> misunderstanding. I mean, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Now, when I read that passage, you know how I read that? I read that as sarcasm. Because that's how I would think. I don't think Jesus is being sarcastic here. I think Jesus is being genuine. I think Jesus legitimately loves Judas. Is Jesus disappointed? Is he hurt? <laughs> is he insulted? Is he offended? Yes. And I still think he loves Judas. I don't think there's a shred of sarcasm there. I think he's calling Judas friend because he's chosen to let that insult pass right on by. I mean, I'm just, that's unbelievable. Jesus genuinely loved him, not allowing Judas's actions to impact the way Jesus felt about him. That's unbelievable. Now, some of you are thinking, well, hey, 
listen, I have got some people in my life, and it's more than just these everyday common misunderstandings. There's real hurt. We, we like to use in our culture the language of they're a toxic person, and that may be true, and you may have to legitimately wrestle with how you interact with them, but you can still wish them well. You can still bless them even if they curse you. You can still love them even if you can't be <laughs> near them. Those are still possible. I want to leave you with a thought, and it's from Mark Twain. Well, it's from Samuel Clemens. He was writing a friend who was getting married, a close friend of uh, he and his wife's who was getting married, and he offered this advice, this marriage advice, but I thought it fits so well for our understanding of what it means to reconcile with friendships, and he says this. He says, there isn't time, so brief is life, for bickering, apologies, heart burnings, callings to account, there is only time for loving and but an instant, so to speak, for that. There isn't time. There's not time for that in life. Is that how you want to spend your time? Just holding on to grudges, being mean? Or maybe people are going through something that has nothing to do with you and they're insulting, for sure. But can you let that pass on by? Wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense.